G'day everyone, this is Rita Join, and welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. My guest today, I really wanted to interview because he's the type of person that most people find themselves in and that is being multi-passionate about many, 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 many things. And yet my guest today has taken his passion and has actually done something three different ways of actually executing on it. And so I've got with me today, Jesse Mullins, who has three businesses. He has Ooze Studios, which he launched four years ago, which is a full service digital agency. He runs Unzipped Fashion, which started a year ago, which is about fashion wholesale, a fashion wholesale consultancy. And he's also got Visa Jobs, which also launched a year ago, and it's a job site helping local talent get sponsored jobs in Australia. And by the way, he's taught himself, or he started teaching himself about the ins and outs of doing things through podcasts. So welcome, Jesse Mullins. Thank you very much. Great introduction. No, it's your <laughs> achievements, mate. That's your achievements. So let me go straight into it. Now, I start the podcast by asking my guests, what's a failure? Because we, you've achieved, but now we want to get in and relate to you on a human level. So tell us your vulnerability of a time when you failed. Absolutely. Well, look, so I think, I think uh, the best place to start is actually the first business that I ever launched, uh, which was seven years ago. And I can hand on heart say it was a complete failure. <laughs> it was it, it just it just ticked it just ticked all the boxes for what not to do um uh-huh. so so basically at, at the time uh, i i didn't do any market validation work um you know so i didn't actually go out to specific segments of the market that i wanted to to target um i, I went really broad in my head i was like i want to target all smes Mm. Uh, which, which, which is just basically, it means you're talking to too many people at once, mm. um, which, which then you end up talking to no one, yeah. right? Yes. Um, we uh, basically, I thought, I, I thought my business partner that, that I went into this joint venture with, I thought deep down that he would change. I, I, I thought that running a business that he'd become motivated and really passionate. Um, again, a bad assumption, mm-hmm. right? never assume that people are going to change instantly. It takes a lot of time. Yes. Um, and so when you combine the fact that we didn't know who, who, who we're talking to specifically, who we were marketing to, and therefore we had no idea who we were actually solving the problem for. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it's just basically, again, tick, tick, uh, all the startup no-nos. Mm. And then the, 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 the pièce de résistance that kind of um, really toppled it all over was the fact that we were worried and scared about launching an, an incomplete or a non-perfect um, business. So we, we, we wanted to spend a lot of time creating the perfect business, the perfect business structure, um, the, the perfect service model, all that stuff before launching because, because we were worried about what people might think, right? And that, that's again a big no-no. Like the, like the founder of LinkedIn famously said that if you're not embarrassed, with the first version of your business, mm-hmm. then you launch too late. Yes. And so, and so we spent months and months and months curating. It, it was essentially a web hosting business. And we spent months and months and months and months spending all this money, time, um, and energy in building the perfect business without launching it, without knowing who really it was for. So it, it almost failed before it launched, right? Because oh, it's just... Um, wow. Um, and then, and then post-launch, uh, basically because we didn't know who we were talking to, we weren't getting the revenue. Um, and then because the business partner and I conflicted because uh, I thought that he would change, 
didn't happen and then uh, ended up uh, failing but yeah. but yeah. taught me huge lessons huge huge lessons that that now I actually te uh, teach other, um, other startups on, on how to avoid because Super. that that was like the, the way that I see it is is that I could have paid to go uh, and do an MBA. Well, I, I mm. they're very expensive, but you know, you you have an option to go and to, to go and learn how to create the best businesses in the world from doing an MBA, or you can go to the school of life and yeah. you, you can try it yourself. Yeah. The 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 main point though is 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 to try and minimize the impact from the failures. That's yeah. the. So you so you're a graduate of the school of hard knocks. <laughs> 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 You definitely graduated there. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Now, you run a digital agency. Can you explain to me what it is that your digital agency does? It's called Ooze Studios, right? Ooze Studios. What does it That's do? It. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, we are a multi-channel um, digital services agency. So we've got in-house designers, copywriters, marketers, and developers. And so when we pull all these expertise together, what makes us different is, is that we can attack uh, projects with a very lean mindset because what, where we're very focused on is that MVP modeling, that minimum viable product modeling, mm. which can actually be applied to any type of business. So whether you're a service-based business, a digital business, a face-to-face -face business, whatever type of business it is, we, we can help um, startups and, and established businesses really help drive the focus on what is the minimum set of features what is the minimum set of services that your audience actually needs, not, uh, not wants, but needs mm. for you to launch in a lean strategy. Mm. Um, and then from that evolve and expand uh, once, once you've got that traction. So we apply that mindset through our marketing campaigns, through our, our website development, our app development, all, 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 that, um, all the different products that we create and work on. We, we really go back and think of, okay, what's a painkiller, what's a vitamin? So mm -hmm. painkillers, you know, big, big difference between the two. The customer needs a painkiller, they want a vitamin. Mm. Right? So just figuring out and helping customers figure or clients for their customers figure out how to best serve them. So you're generally working with startups? Uh, so, so I'd say 60% startups and then I've, 40% are established businesses who want to either create a new revenue model or launch a new sister business or launch a new uh, service that, uh, that they want to test out. So um, that's so yeah, really so interesting. That's really interesting, Jess, because in your previous company or your previous business that didn't do too well, it was for website hosting. And this here is a digital agency where you get to actually take clients through how to generate a revenue stream, how to get their products out with the MVP minimum viable product. Why is it like, so I'm interested to know specifically, there are two separate types of businesses. Did you just want to, is this where your passion is? Is this like, like working with startups or is it the fact that the web hosting just currently totally, you know, you know, just, you know, has a bad taste in your mouth. Like why is it that you've turned to such a big difference? Yeah, look, so basically I knew, I, it's a great question and to, and to be honest, no one's ever asked me that. So good question. <laughs> um, it's, it's really a case of, so I, I knew that I wanted to get in, in, into the digital space to help people, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, at, because when I launched that hosting business, I could see there's a lot of cowboys in, in, in the digital space and, I, could, and I, 
I knew from personal experience, having worked with previous businesses who'd worked with um, cowboys, so to speak, mm. uh, that, that there's a lot of um, BS out there, right? Mm. And so I thought at the time that hosting was the best way to do that because it was quite analytical. Um, it, was, uh, it, it, had, it had potential for growth. Um, and it was a way that I could reach out a lot of people quite quickly and help them. But what, what I found is, is that, yeah, what, one of what wasn't the right business model, but actually where my real passion is, is combining my creativity with data. And so that's where, and so that's where marketing fits in so well. And so um, like I really dabbled in, in marketing for, for, for companies before, but then from that point, I went full head steam into it. Um, right. Okay. Okay. So you've been doing it for U Studios has been it's a, it's four years old. Yeah. And then when it turned three, however, you went and started up Unzipped Fashion Connections, which is a fashion wholesale consultancy, and Visa Jobs. Now, why? How did these two businesses come around? Uh, so through through U Studios, basically. So, so what we found is that is that because we were attracting. Uh, a a few startups um, into, into our MVP modeling service. And then so as we were getting ready to launch, there were opportunities to either invest in or to partner up with. Um, oh. And so, yeah, and so that's the, so the Unzip is actually um, my partner's business. It's basically, she's, she's a, um, uh, so she's got a 10 year history working in fashion wholesale. Right. And she and she saw what I was doing, got, got very jealous. Basically, I love the freedom. <laughs> and she's like, I want that. And then so and so the team and myself and her basically worked out what the uh, what the best model was. Um, and yeah, and basically it helped to transition from a full time position or a full time career that, that she do for 10 years into working full time in her own business. And how did that, sorry, can I interrupt you there, please, Jess? How did that transition happen? How did you, because listeners are probably thinking, how did you go from being 10 years in the career to starting, what was the steps that it took to get her from employee to being working for herself? So, uh, so my number one tip is never, never just quit your job and start to work on the business. Mm. Right? Just never do that, okay? I know, I know I've been there before where I've thought about it. And you know, because, I, because I, I was working on Ooze for about six months to, to nine months before leaving my full-time position and, and going full-time on Ooze. So, so it, it typically takes about six months to set everything up whilst you're working full-time, right? Because, um, because you've only got weekends and nights, um, but there are certain things that you need to do before launching a business and before you can start to generate revenue. Because, because what you don't want to do is that you don't want to quit your job, start working in the business, and then you're putting a huge financial constraint on yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then suddenly this passion project of yours mm. actually becomes a nightmare because oh. you're really stressed if, uh, because you're needing money to come in to, to pay for whatever bills, rent, et cetera. Um, and you're suddenly putting a huge focus and reliance on this business that you haven't had that you haven't given the time mm. to to grow and to uh, and to start to bring clients in and therefore money. Mm. Um, so, so so that's why setting yourself a target of you know basically let's say for argument's sake that one of your listeners is thinking right now look I want to move away from working for someone else I, I want to work for myself um, I'm uh, I've got these passions whatever it is it, it, 
can literally be anything, basically almost or practically everything can be turned into a business and therefore sustain your, your livelihood. So they're in that position, think six months from now. So, so basically set yourself goals for the next six months of what, what you want to achieve so that by the time that the six months come and you've left, you have one, multiple clients paying for a service that you're providing because you really do not want to put yourself under that kind of financial constraint because that passion will soon turn into a nightmare. That is so true. Yeah, with a passion, you totally flakes out and there is no passion anymore. <laughs> There's just tears. There's a right. Lot yeah, no, been there. Now, with visa jobs, how did, is that also a client came in and then you thought, you thought to want to invest in it? Is that how it happened? Yeah, exactly. Exactly that, yeah. So yes, we had a client, Jonathan Matter. Um, he he had been in the industry for uh, for many years, and he saw a gap in the market. So we helped him build this uh, this web app um, to help connect international candidates uh, to Australian employers, and and yeah, and we really believed in it, and so we invested. Okay. Uh, so. So yeah, so um, so that's that's how I'm a director of that business and, and, and a director of Unzipped. So that's an interesting leeway you've taken. That you just you didn't exactly start it, but you've invested, and that's how you're involved in those projects itself. How do you separate your time to give to Ooze, to give to Visa, to give to Unzipped? Like, how are you working on your time? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's 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 it's, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a challenge. You know, like. Now the way is, look, is, I was recently thinking about this, right? Um, because I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm working, so I, I'd say at least three, three to four days a week, I'm doing 6.30, 7 a.m. Uh, at my laptop through to 7, 8 p.m. at night, right? So I'm doing like 12 hour days, three days a week, and then like normal days the other days. Is this, is this what I want to do? Is this sustainable? Um, and so is it sustainable? 100% for me, because I, I've, I've trained myself into this. Um, but ultimately, my hobby is business. Like, as, as boring as that might sound, but yeah. like my, my, my real passion is to, uh, to, take, to take something from nothing to something uh, that's big and that's, and that's usable and that people like to use. Mm. Um, and so, and so, my medium of doing that is is through business, whether it's helping uh, my team members at Ooze, or whether it's through helping a, another organisation and grow them. That's that's really my passion. So, how do I manage time? Look through through trial and error to to begin with in getting the right processes and operations. Yeah. Um, but effective time management is is, is something that I'm, I'm always striving to improve. Yeah. yeah. Um, any, anyone that says that they nailed it, mm. I, I, I question it because um, because it, it, it is a challenge, right? Um, but I make sure I make sure that I don't go two days without exercise. Um, I make sure that, that, I, that I have a good that I actually block out lunch in, in my diary to make sure. You that's do. Not, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I make sure that at the end of every single day, I clear my inbox out and I clear my my workflow management tool, which we use Monday.com. Mm -hmm. And that way I know that the, I know that the engine's running. And basically I know that the, that the plates are spinning uh, and that people have got the information they need to, to yeah, basically to continue the, the momentum. You know, it's interesting. Is, is the that fact that question? when you started Ooze, that you've put yourself in a prime position to, 
not only be able to do what that thing starts from nothing and be able to grow something, but also be in the actual field of seeing what's around and where you can also look to add like you have with the other two companies. Like, I think, did you know that you were actually orchestrating that? No. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's really amazing that, yeah. that it kind of took on its own life. And it really did. Yeah, and as I said, basically, a business is my hobby, right? Mm. So, so that's yeah. Yeah, so that's the real driving force for me. Um, some people like to knit. Other people like to play basketball. <laughs> I like I like business. That's great. That's great. I want to just I want to talk about what you mentioned before MVP, which is minimum viable product, and I think that's so important for anyone who's looking to go from a career to their business or turn a passion into a profession as a side gig. Can you explain, please, um, as you work with clients uh, with the digital consultancy, what is MVP and how does that look? So can you give us an example of how that looks so that we're not overthinking anything? Absolutely. Look, so the, the, the base place to start is, to, is that before you can even create your MVP or, or create a, a suggestion for an MVP, is that you need to market validate your idea. Okay. Now, what I mean by this is, is that don't, don't just don't ask your friends, right? So asking your friends is going to give you very biased information. Basically, they're going to want to make you feel good, so they're going to give you the answer that they think you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And so asking 20 of your friends, hey, would you buy this if I launched it? They're going to go, yes. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to it, sure, some might pay for it, but that they're friends, right? You need to be marketing and trying to convince strangers to buy your product or to buy your service. Yeah. So you need to, like there's plenty of different avenues to do this, but at the most basic level, you can just create a survey on Google Forms. It's free. Um, stick to under 10 questions and make sure those questions really give you the answers that, that you're looking for. And so don't ask binary questions. Don't ask for, for yes or no answers. Try and get qualitative information. Try and get reasons why people do what they do or they don't do what they do or the reason or how important they find something. Um, collect that information. Post this survey on closed Facebook groups that are relevant to your, to your audience. Again, a, a free process, a bit manual, but it's free. Um, and then collect that data. Get about 500 respondents. I, you might have to incentivize it with like three $20 Amazon vouchers. But again, investing $60 now to save yourself $10,000 later on is a great investment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so get, get, get that pool of data and make, uh, make an evidence-based decision on what exactly your audience needs. What, what's the painkiller solution that you can create uh, for them to, to, to be willing to hand over money? Um, and so effectively what you're doing is, is that you're getting evidence to build your MVP. So as an example, um, you could, you could be, okay. So for, for instance, if you, if you want to, if you want to launch a consulting business, right? Um, there, there could be five or six different services that you could offer and you could have them all on the one uh, web page. But by giving someone five service options, it actually becomes a bit confusing and giving them too many options, right? Mm -hmm. So you think that you're actually helping the, the customer by giving them more options, but actually two of them are not really re relatable and they're not actually needed. And so your MVP for launch could actually be just those three services that you know that you've tested, that you've got evidence for, to show that people actually need this. 
and suddenly your offer becomes not only more attractive, but it's actually easier for you to provide this service. Mm. Then, then as you're as you're evolving, as you're getting more customers on, then you can potentially evolve it to a fourth service or a fifth service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and also, and also basically just go back a step. It, it could just be one service, right? It could just be one service that that you offer that you know from the market data that you've got from your surveys that um, that it's what people need. Mm-hmm. So just offering one service is, is a completely valid business uh, as, as long as you're connecting to that audience. What do you think, Jess, is probably the, the best from your experience of having worked with different clients in different industries in your agency, is the best kind of first step business model, like in terms of generating revenue, would it be through an advertising business model? Would it be through um, actually sponsorships? Like how have you seen, and I'm sure it depends on which niche you are and what you're trying to do, but overall, is there a business model that works better than others? No, so there really isn't. It's, 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 it's honestly, so you can pretty much start to categorize it. So I think, I think, I, I think the best way to answer that question is to, is, is to look at the different categories of business. So like there's, there's definitely not one model that fits all, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there are certain models that work better with others. So but the, the first question is, are you B2C or are you B2B? Mm-hmm. So is, are, are the services that you're providing gonna help another business um, or are you selling direct to consumer? Mm-hmm. So for, for instance, if, if you're an accounting firm, you're B2B because you're helping other businesses. Yes. Um, B2C, you're selling a, um, a, a product, uh, you know, based like an e-com platform or, or, or such the like. So typically the, the B2B model tends to be the more favored when it comes to single businesses because, they, because they've had a career and they have a particular service niche and then they want to turn that, that service niche into some kind of consulting business. So therefore they're, they're usually B2B. Um, and then so within a B2B model, the, the number one tip I have, like the, the only thing that really matters is, is to your first stage, your first major objective, sorry, is to become break-even. Uh, to become, to become break-even, what a lot of business owners will do is that they will not set themselves an hourly rate for themselves. Right. And then when they try to price uh, their product or the, sorry, when they try to price their service, they don't include that their, their own hours and their own wage because because ultimately a business any business has got operating expenses you know your rent um maybe office equipment uh water bills whatever right um then you've also got your wages which include you so even even if you're paying yourself as a dividend or you're paying yourself as a sole trader whatever it is you still need money to be able to, to, be able to, to sustain this business and so, you know, set yourself an hourly rate, whether it's $20 an hour, $40 an hour, whatever it is, and you're gonna charge the company for 40 hours a week, four weeks uh, of the month. And so you know that you're gonna have this base, base expenses that you're gonna to need to meet, not only from the operational, but from the wages and, and, and everything else that goes with the business operations. And so you need to think, okay, so I'm working roughly 160 hours a month, now, this is also where, where a lot of people fall over is that they think that every single hour they have available that they can charge to clients, right? Because, because they think that, they, that 100% of their time is available for client work. 
really as a business owner, when you're starting, just as a rough um, split, 50% of your work can be client facing. 50% needs to be for quotation, lead generation, admin, uh, finance, operations, right? And so suddenly, and so suddenly when, when you actually start to look at uh, the amount of time that you have available for client work, uh, you can actually start to look at specifically how much you should be charging. Because the number one error, especially just as a nutshell, the number one error that B2B consulting businesses do is that they undervalue their, um, their service. So would you say, is it easier to sell to B2C or B2B? Because there's been a discussion with some other guests about, you no, know, it's easier with B2B and then some say, no, it's easier with B2C. What's your opinion? Okay, yeah, so great question. So with, with B2C, it, it comes down to marketing. Okay. Right? Whereas B2B, you don't have to rely solely on marketing. You can use uh, your, your network a lot more. Um, typically, obviously. So, so if, if you're feeling very confident with, uh, with marketing, especially the digital marketing realm, um, then, uh, then B2C is, well, B2C is also more scalable, you know, because like with, with B2B, it tends to be a service-based business, which means that the only way to scale it is to hire more people, mm -hmm. right? Um, but because you're dealing in higher average sale value, so, you know, like a client's worth, $2,000 a month, whereas B2C is worth $20 once off, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so what's better? To answer your question, if you're, if you're more comfortable with marketing or, or you've done a course and you're feeling pretty good about it, do, do B2C, it's long-term, it has more benefits. Um, it's, it's much more scalable, as I was mentioning, and there's less need to hire um, staff. Which, which, which in the beginning puts a lot of constraint on cash flow. Um, but B2B, so if you already have a network in, in the industry that you're going to be working in or in, this, in the niche industry, then B2B tends to be better. So when, when you say that, you know, you like the creative side of things, I take it that refers to marketing, would that be correct? Yeah. So what kind of marketing, because there's so many different types of way to market. Well, what do you use that you, what marketing strategy you normally or like to gravitate towards that you commonly use? So, yes, yeah, so basically, we actually take the, uh, an, an omni-channel approach. So there are, there, are, there are effectively four major channels of marketing. There, 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 there are a few others, uh, but I'd call them minor rather than major. So, so you've got what's known as PPC, which is, which is adverts, you know, adverts on Facebook, on Google, uh, on other platforms. You've got SEO, which brings you organic traffic. Um, you have, my good golly, uh, <laughs> a content strategy. I just forgot my own. Um, yes, a content strategy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then lastly, LinkedIn. Because uh, LinkedIn, so, so, so LinkedIn advertising is really expensive. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you've got the budget, go for it. But we actually find that, Using an organic, uh, an organic strategy to connect with relevant parties is a really powerful B two B marketing strategy. How do you so, use LinkedIn so for B two B? It's it's time consuming but worthwhile. So it, it's, it's effectively it's it's effectively like going to a network event that's on twenty four seven, right? So you're so 
you're connecting with, with relevant people, you're pretty much tapping them on, on the shoulder virtually um, and you're making it personalized. Now, where a lot of people fall down on this is they try and automate it or they try and literally just say hi to everyone without being personal. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, people are sick of being bombarded by mm -hmm. generic um, emails, generic content. If you talk to someone one-to-one, -one, you get a much better engagement. So using that strategy and, and using um, you know, so some free gifts, so basically some free reports uh, to send them, you can actually create some very good uh, long-term relationships through LinkedIn. So you're, you actually go on your LinkedIn profile, you actually find the people that you want to connect with, that you'd like to work with in terms of having a client. You obviously link up with them, you send them messages, but they're specific messages, not bulk, you know, one size fits all messages. And you're basically introducing yourself and you're saying, here's a report or here is some information or here is some insights on your research. And that's where the conversation comes. So at what point do you say, can we meet up or can I present something? At what point do you know it's the right timing? That, that is a $64,000 question. <laughs> right? It's the, uh, it, it's, it, it's, so again, so it, so it comes down to uh, the rapport, right? And if, if, you're, if you've never done business development or sales, you're gonna have to quickly learn as a, as a business owner. Uh, it's, it's one of the core functions that, to be honest, I, I myself uh, avoided for as, as long as possible because I was a bit shy back in the day, but then in my late 20s, I'm like, I've, I've got to learn this. Yeah. So I, I dive straight, I dived uh, headfirst into it and learned as much as I could from as many people. But so in, in terms of knowing when to quite, quite pull the trigger, um, it, it comes down to just experience and just knowing, you know, so actually, do you know what? A tip, just put yourself, be, be empathetic and put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm -hmm. If just look at from their point of view, what they've received in terms of messages, in terms of dialogue, and look at the way that you, as this, uh, as this other person, have, have written their messages. Are they engaged? Are they, are they excited to talk to you? Um, if they're not, make them, right? Create, create a bit of scarcity uh, or create uh, um, more intrigue. Because what you don't want to do is that you don't want to pull the trigger too early and they go, ah, no, no, sorry, I thought this was something else, right? Mm. So, Put yourself in the other person's shoes. If, if you've given, 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 then by the fifth or sixth time, then I think it's okay to say, hey, look, how do you fancy taking this chat online? Mm -hmm. So I say, yeah, that's, that's a general rule of thumb. Okay. Um, you know, so like, in fact, with uh, another kind of macro tip, if you will, when you're with all communication, whether it's through Facebook posts, whether it's through emails, whether it's through whatever it is, Try and apply the 80-20 rule. So 80% of your posts are give, give, give. They're free content. They're not salesy at all. Um, and then that 20%, that fifth email, that fifth post is about you promoting a service, promoting a testimonial, promoting something that directly links to uh, your service. Okay. Okay. 80-20 rule, give, 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 and then go for the ask or... Yeah. So, you know, in your experience, I mean, you've worked with startups, you work with startups at the moment as clients, you have been a startup. 
what are the pros and cons if I want to take something that I'm really jazzed about and then actually launch that? Like what's the, the good thing to do about it? What's the right way? And what's like the stuff that I got to watch out for? Yeah, look, so the, so, right, so there was actually this, uh, this report that's come out of Silicon Valley recently uh, about what is the number one reason why startups fail. Mm -hmm. Right, and it is because the product to market, sorry, the product to market fit wasn't right. So okay. the so the understanding of what the audience once again, basically going back going back to the market validation, but actually the perception of what the business owner believes the, the audience wants versus what the actual audience wants mm -hmm. don't align, mm -hmm. um, and that's because either assumptions were made or there was a gut instinct. And so just something on gut instinct is that the gut instinct is, is a very powerful thing, right? And we shouldn't ignore it. But if you constantly rely on gut instinct, uh, on, on, on that feeling from inside you that says this is a good idea or this is a bad idea, if you constantly rely on that to make decisions, it's very hard to learn from. Because going back to space, if, 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 that, if the decision you made based on your gut ends up failing, yeah, it's hard to learn because you based it on a feeling. Okay. Whereas if you if you actually try and stick to as much as possible evidence-based decisions, then you can at least fall back and go, okay, so we chose this course of action or this process or this strategy because of these reasons, because of these this data or this evidence, it didn't work. Let's figure out what happened and we can actually pivot and iterate a lot easier. But if you're just relying on that gut feeling, it becomes quite hard to, to learn from. That's interesting. So that you don't rely on your gut to move forward or to hesitate. It's all based on data. Is that correct? Well, so, 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 I, so I do want to clarify. So I'm not saying to, to completely ignore it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just saying not to rely on it solely. Okay. okay. You know, because, like, because, you know, because, because ultimately we, we are living in a very fast paced mm -hmm. uh, world and environment and, and most industries are just like, are really cool. Mm -hmm. So, so, there of course needs to be an element of gut decisions. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not saying for people to ignore it. I'm just saying don't just solely rely on it because otherwise you can't learn. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough, all right. And so with, in terms of, um, this is an interesting question. I was asking someone this morning the same question. Do you think, because you've worked for someone else and you've worked for yourself, is it easier to work for your own self, executing on your passion? Or is it easier to turn that into a profession, doing it your own self? Like taking that risk, taking the responsibility and doing it yourself. So easier to work for someone else as an employee, doing your passion or working for yourself? What would your opinion be to that? Um, it all comes down to the individual. So, my, so for me, I got really frustrated whilst working for other people that the people at the top were making decisions that didn't benefit me, that they were actually making decisions that benefited usually the top, okay. right? And so that that used to infuriate me. Like they weren't they weren't thinking about everyone, and it was very clear that it was a very biased and almost selfish set of decisions. So that for me was a very big uh, drive, so that I could gain control over my life. Now, I promise I'm, I'm not a control freak. <laughs> like, uh, I, well, at least I don't think I am. Um, but, 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 it's, but it became important for, 
for me to to start my own business so that I so that I could do that so that I could actually make decisions that benefited everyone. You know, um, I feel I I think I feel uh, an egalitarian, if, if you will, um, culture whereby we will have an equal vote, we will have a an equal voice. Um, you know, we're 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 breeding transformational leaders where they become a leader themselves and then they um, and and not convince. Uh, but yeah, but, but they try and create up other leaders themselves. So it's um, yeah, it, it really comes down to the individual because no matter no matter what, when you when you launch a business and you work for it full time, it's going to get hairy, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to get stressful. It's never easy. Um, you know, like like if you if you follow like entrepreneur.com or founder or, or any of those other entrepreneurship magazines or content providers. They're, they're very good at giving really good insightful quotes mm-hmm. and you can see a strong pattern with all the successful all these successful entrepreneurs from around the world there's a consistent message of there's no such thing as an overnight success mm-hmm. there's there's 10 years of work behind it right yeah. or um, never give up you know just because you failed eight times by the ninth time that you pick yourself up you might be successful right mm-hmm. there's just there's this is there's a big, big notion of you cannot, um, yeah. One, don't give up, but but you're gonna you're gonna be in it for the long haul, really, because mm. it's, it's it's a journey. It's a great journey. Like I, I wouldn't change any of it, including that that original failure. Even though there's a lot of heartache uh, that went with it, uh, mm. I wouldn't change it uh, in a second because it, at least it brought me to where I am today. Yeah. I mean, it's very true what you say. I mean, because we think entrepreneurship, it's a quick fix or it's a quick gain. But when you think about someone who becomes an engineer or a doctor or a teacher, you go through 12, 13 years of school, then four or five years of post-grad, you know, post-school education, university to get there. Then you've got to do your practical. There's like 15, 20 years of just studying, really like a good bunch of studying there that allows them to then, after 15, 17 years, then become the teacher then become the doctor and so it does take that length of time but we, i guess the, the notion is that entrepreneurship or starting your thing or working for yourself should be a quick fix it should be and you've arrived just by starting it it's it's it's, it's actually what the what the notion is and when you hear headings especially in digital media how how i made seven figures by just in three months and how i did this there's so much that went behind the scenes to allow someone to get to that six figures in the three months because there was 10 years of, like you say 10 years of work before that to get to that i mean do you know what i mean absolutely yeah. you know and, and and a great example that you know that, that people overlook is you know people talk about mark zuckerberg being being a genius being uh, being sometimes lucky uh by becoming a billionaire i think at the age of 22 but what they forget is, is that his dad was taking him to weekend coding camps from the age of nine, right? Wow. He spent he spent almost every minute of every day coding. Mm. Right? He spent and through that he he got he got an unconditional acceptance into Harvard at the age of fifteen. Look, he, of course he's smart, but mm. without without the effort, without the, the the grueling work that went in behind it, he wouldn't have got to where he was. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. You know, and 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 I know that that's an extreme example, but it, but it just shows that that really, even with the successes that you think happened easily, they didn't. There's a huge amount of work that goes yeah. into everything. But there's also just a huge level of just leaning into what you're good at, because 
his parents or his teachers could have pushed him, you know, study harder at history or be better in geography because you've got bad marks in geography. You know, it's, it's just really leaning into your strength, not because there was any money involved, but just because there was so much pleasure that was being gained from it that it, it soon, like he was just born at the right time, but it eventuated into something that allowed him to actually monetize eventually, just leaning into yeah. what you're good at. Yeah, and, and so that, that actually raises an interesting topic is, you know, do you do, you do what you're good at or do you do what you love, mm. right? Because um, doing, because really like, you know, I don't want to potentially scare people off, but, you know, if you, if you do what you're passionate, like what, what your hobby is, let's say, so let's, say, let's say you have a hobby and turn it into a business, um, that, that can turn sour and then suddenly your passion, your hobby has got a bad connotation and you can actually feel a bit lost. Mm. Um, like, don't get me wrong, sometimes it works out and sometimes it's a great success, but maybe steer towards what you're good at. Mm. Um, do, do that for 20 to 40 hours a week uh, as, as, your, um, as your business and then keep your hobby separate mm. as, as, as a potential model. Yeah, yeah. And then those of you, those of us who are like you, who just find what you're good at and what you love and they just marry together and then you just get to do that for, for a lifetime if you wish. Yeah, I mean, again, with, with, with a lot of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, right now, because um, Jesse and I were talking just before we hit record and he was saying to me, he and his uh, partner had chosen to travel around the world. COVID hit, they were in the Philippines and he's been stuck in the Philippines for four months now. And you're working from, I mean, it was probably the best time because, I mean, your business allows you to travel. It allows you to do that thing. But do you find that, oh, this is a question. Do you find that as you're traveling, like before COVID, because now you're in lockdown and you've got to stay where you are. But prior to COVID, did you find that even though you were traveling, you're still working because everything is remote. But did you find like that, that, I mean, I guess we spoke about that a little bit, but that because you're traveling to a new country and you want to see sites and yet, What's the balance there of how much do you work and then how much do you get to go sightsee or how much do you get to go to the beach and all that jazz when you're traveling? Uh, yeah, look, uh, that, that fear of FOMO yeah. uh, was, was, very, was very strong in the beginning. But look, but at, at the end of the day, um, it just, it's focus. So actually, so, so, so I was actually reading an article the other day where they got 20 um, very successful um, entrepreneurs to fill out a survey and included Bill Gates and um, the teddy bear of Wall Street, oh my, uh, Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. And so it included them and they were asked if you were to describe using one word why you were successful, what would that word be? And they both answered focus. So that it, it means both on a daily basis, on a, on a weekly, monthly, having the vision to know that what you're doing now directly affects your vision for what you, where you want to be in a month, where you want to be in six months. And so I, I knew that, that without this business and, and, and the setup that I have, I wouldn't be able to be in the countries that I was. Mm. So I, I really, um, maybe salivated isn't the right word, but, but I really enjoyed to the absolute max my weekends basically explored as much as possible, um, you know, whether it was in Bali or Ho Chi Minh, wherever we are at, and just really soaked in the culture as much as possible. And then Monday to Friday during work hours, it was, it was work. Okay. So, you know, the, 
the first week was tough because like you're just like oh my god i just want to do everything <laughs> but um but then but then just going back to what what the objective was um and the objective was was to continue to grow ooze whilst being in a new city so did, did, uh, ooze, did, did ooze at all um i don't know did, was it affected ad adversely by COVID at all uh so look so yeah yes we're affected so it's so in april um we all went down to four days a week. Well, I mean, I basically, basically I continue to work um, six days a week, but, but the team went down to four uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the month of April, but, uh, but we weathered the storm. Um, and now we, we've actually hired three people in the last two weeks. Fantastic, fantastic. So yeah. it's all great guns. It's all going full speed ahead. Yeah, look, it's, it really is. It's, it's, it's feeling really, really good. And uh, I'm looking forward to go back to Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> First plane out of the Philippines, you're on it. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. No, but look, yeah, no, but look, but, look, but I will say, basically, just to clarify that that Philippines and, and Cebu specifically, where we have been staying, have been amazing. The people mm. have been amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, but it's time to taste a chicken schnitzel again yes, with, with, yes. with, a, with a pint of golden ale. <laughs> you miss home. You miss home. You miss yeah. home. No, that's wonderful. Well, Jesse, I want to just say thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Your insights, your depth of reading, which is fantastic to know that you've read so many articles. Do you like? Do you have certain publications that you is your go-to for your reading? Uh, good question. So, so yeah. So, so for instance, for for marketing, um, for marketing, we use WordStream. Very good. Uh, WordStream.com. So they're, they're a uh, they're a Google AdWords plugin, but so you don't need to use the plugin to be able to get uh, the the data, uh, sorry, the articles from them. But they essentially so they constantly analyze you know, twenty thousand plus different Google AdWords accounts, and they create some really interesting data reports based on trends, but per industry, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then they also have some really good just insights into the latest. Uh, algorithm updates and stuff like that. So that's, so that's very marketing specific in regards to business in general. So, so the Harvard Business Review, I, I really enjoy. Um, and that, there's one that I recommend that, that a lot of people don't know about. It's called Futurism. Um, really, really cool. Um, not, well, of course it's geeky, but it's science, but it's, but it's, but it's, but it's looking at kind of trending science um, articles. But okay. done, but done in a in a in a non scientific way. Okay. So, so yeah, just like reading about the latest tech advancements or the latest environmental advancements. Okay. It's awesome super. Info. Super. So that's wordstream.com, futurism, and Harvard Business Review. Yeah, and oh, sorry, just and two yeah. two books that uh, yeah. that I recommend. One I'm about to finish, but I'm, I'm about seventy five percent of the way through. Uh, the Bob Iger. Um, autobiography that he's just released. It's basically oh, okay. him. It's, it's basically him explaining uh, his 15 years tenure as CEO of Disney. Okay. Um, some really, really insightful uh, leadership development um, and leadership stories in there. I find mm -hmm. that really interesting. And the other one is uh, Super Fans by Peter Flynn. So really, really good book about ultimately every single business. No matter how small, all the way through to extremely large, hundred thousand employee corporates, every business has a community. Mm. Um, how you how you engage with that community and how thriving that community is is vital to your success. Yeah. So you know, so something 
that that that, that we really try to evoke in in new business owners uh, through through ooze is to build that community because that takes time and it needs to be really personable and yes it takes effort and it's not automated but that's that that's how you grow a business so that before you launch you already have 50 100 1000 how many you need active super fans potentially and, and and then take them on the journey with you and when you say the community, are you talking about the community that you build on social media or on your email list? Is that the community you're talking about? So, yes, yeah, so don't think, so think about it this way, whereby the community is the individual. So, so, so the group of individuals, how you communicate with them is up to you. So, you know, especially some people choose Facebook, other people choose emails. Some people, like, we actually recommend to do all of them. Mm-hmm. It's essentially the platform is just a medium in which you in which you communicate with your um, with your community. Okay. And so, um, but a little bit like I get, uh, again a, a good measure. So pre-launch, you should try and have five hundred emails at least of potential not potential of community members, so that when you launch, you've got that active engagement ready to go. Okay. Makes sense. This time I'm definitely going to let you go now because <laughs> I said I was going to let you go, but I'm going to keep my promise now. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jesse, for being such a trooper and letting me into your life and into your insight, into your work and giving us the opportunity to ask the questions to find how you found your passion and turn that into a profession. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank I you. really appreciate it, Rita. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being on board on the Unbox Your Beef podcast and we will catch you on the very next episode. God bless. Thank <laughs> you.